0: Welcome back to another episode of Muslim Like Me. I'm your host, Khadan Khalif. And I'm so happy you're all here. I'm happy you're all listening. Um, I've gotten a lot I'm so like corny right now, but like I got a lot of really, really good responses from our substance use disorder episode. And if you're new to the podcast and you haven't listened to that episode, then I highly recommend you listen to it, but the responses, guys, have been so overwhelming and so like just like you know how like you don't believe something is real so you kind of have to like pinch yourself both physically and like metaphorically speaking. I feel like I'm kind of in that space right now where like I don't believe it's happening. Like it sounds really bad, but like I don't believe that people genuinely care about the kind of things that I'd be saying. <laughs> uh i don't believe that people really cared about my little podcast because i literally you know just started uploading just started getting into the groove of a schedule and all that so all the love that you guys are showing right now is deeply deeply appreciated i've been getting a lot of messages on our instagram if you guys don't follow the muslim like me instagram a It's linked down below, whichever platform you're listening to this on, it um, is distributed on every single platform, whether it's Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Google or whichever platform you're using, I distribute on every single platform. So um, our Instagram is at Podcast, and the messages I've been getting are so sweet and so kind and are just so eye-opening because you never know, especially like as people, we never realize how much what we do, whether we want it to or not, impacts other people's lives. And the messages I've been getting have just been so kind and so sweet. And a lot of you know people who have been struggling with substance use disorders have been messaging me saying my podcast has really touched something in them, and that they feel you know accepted and seen and heard. And y'all, I'm a corny girl, but that just fills. <laughs> that really fills my soul with so much joy. And of course, this episode, as you could tell by the title, is something heavy that we're going to get into. But my entire intention, right, of starting Muslim Like Me and, you know, forcing myself to face my fears of, you know, being an online person, Or like, you know, not even online because I have been on social media for as probably as long as social media has been a popular thing. I mean, I'm 22 years old. But like forcing myself to be more present and intentional with the kind of content I'm putting out there. It has been a ride and a half and I cannot be any more grateful than I am right now. A couple of the messages that I got from, you know, family of those who are also, you know, facing substance use disorder has been really, really sweet. And they've been telling me that, hey, like so-and-so in my family is struggling with a substance use disorder and I recommended your podcast and they feel really good about it. And, you know, like someone who's also messaged me, actually a couple people told me they've had family who've passed and they were like, we wish, you know, they had the opportunity to hear someone accept them like you're accepting them. And I just I'm I'm filled with so much just gratefulness and humility i'm really humble that you guys see my podcast as something that resonates with you and with your family and with your friends and our community and thank you all i honestly can't say thank you enough thank you thank you thank you so much um so moving on um my mom (laughs) listens to my podcast now which is really funny um she left me a voice note saying hey, hold on, like, as alaikum like, I heard your podcast, she's like, I'm moving on to a new episode, (laughs) which, like, I mean, for the Somali girls listening, you obviously understand, like, For many of us, our moms are like our biggest inspirations, our role models. My Hoya is my biggest inspiration, my role model, if I'm speaking for myself. So Hoya, if you're listening to this episode, I love you. And everything I am is because of you and all the struggles and all the sacrifices that you've made for me to exist as freely as I do, to be doing stuff like this. Um, And I love you. Um, Okay, so this has gotten really personal. Uh, Let's just jump into discussing why I felt like this is the episode to do, especially today, right? I forgot. Because i be, y'all, i just be forgetting stuff. I wanted to jump on before also I got into the episode um, and say thank you so much to Apple Podcasts for putting your girl on Muslim Voices. What? I literally, y'all. So I think it must have been four or five days ago, right, where I, like, opened my email um, or, like, the Muslim Like Me email. Um, any of you who would like to email us um, anything, um our email is muslimlikemepodcast at gmail.com so anyways i was going through the email right like regular and i was just looking through it and just seeing you know things i was sent and stuff and i came across an email right at the top from apple Podcasts, and they were like hey we're featuring you in muslim voices and i was like what featuring who me and it's like, of course, it's like the imposter syndrome of like not feeling like you're good enough or not thinking that you're all that or whatever, but also just like marveling at the fact that like my little podcast is being featured among other amazing Muslim voices. Like y'all, my, my little podcast art was right like next to the digital sisterhood. <laughs> like I love the digital sisterhood. I love everything they do. It was right next to so many like amazing including the digital sisterhood obviously but like it was right next to so many other amazing muslim podcasts and i felt really really kind of like a surreal moment again it's like the whole pinch yourself metaphorically and physically thing but um i'm really grateful for it and that was just kind of like something i wanted to share with you guys before we jumped into the episode okay now i'm done being kind of um doing all my little like self-talk up. (laughs) Uh, Today's episode is just something that stemmed from an idea. I think especially now because like I'm done with my school semester, alhamdulillah, I can't say that enough, alhamdulillah. I finished all my finals, I turned in all my papers. Being in grad school is really exhausting Um, and finally putting a close to that chapter for now is great. I'm not doing any summer classes. I've chosen to spend the summer working and also just making time for myself because I've been in school literally my entire life. And I know a lot of the listeners can also relate to this. You probably listening to this in your car or as you do errands or whatever it is, um, can relate. Like We've been in school, most of us, Our entire lives and never like sit down to take a break because we feel like we're undeserving of the breaks that we want to take. But I'm kind of putting myself in a mental space now where I'm like, hey, hold on, you're going to take a break. And that's what I'm doing this summer. And I'm going to start my thesis in the fall. But I'm not trying to think about that right now. So as I'm in this new space of kind of taking a break and also away from my family that I miss more than I can ever explain, honestly, like every other day. Like my camera roll b- will bring up like two years ago today images of me and my siblings and me and my baby sister or me and my mom or my dad and it just makes me super sad because I am the eldest daughter in a Somali home, right? And being around my family is all I've ever known and I think this can resonate with a lot of people in many different communities in many different backgrounds and demographics, right? Like being a part of or being blessed with a family unit that's truly your support system that's truly your safety net is a blessing and when you kind of step out of that space it is kind of exciting right the the exhilarating feeling of like i'm i'm coming to be my own person and i'm gonna you know like kind of step into this new phase of adulthood and you know kind of face those challenges head-on independently become my own person (laughs) Hashtag Nagnol, right? But also something that we don't talk about that comes with that phase is just the mental gymnastics of forcing yourself to not feel alone. And it's easy to say that, but it's harder to kind of come to terms with it, especially because it's Ramadan. And Ramadan, for me at least, um, means obviously ibadah, getting closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, learning more about myself spiritually, But also at the forefront of that is family, being around my family, being able to, you know, argue with my siblings at Suhoor, being able to kind of like, you know, help my mom make iftar, even though she's trying to cook like a six course meal by herself, (laughs) you know, washing the dishes with my little sisters, arguing about who has to wash the dishes today, going to Taraweeh, walking back and laughing. A lot of the memories of this month, for me, at least for the past 22 years, have been very much inclusive of my family and inclusive of everything family means for me um and i think that's really important really important in the sense that like for me again i'm speaking very much from an isolated experience although it may not be as isolated as i try to trick myself think it is but my family means a billion and one percent of the world to me my family is who I am my sense of identity my sense of you know how I view myself is very very not fully but like mostly exists within my family so for the first time in my entire life ladies and gentlemen not being able to be around them 24 7 has been really hard and I think this whole idea of feeling lonely and don't don't get me wrong i i live with family now too not my family like my siblings and mom but i live with family now too my uncle and his family and they're they're literally the nicest people ever but there's something about being woken up at 2 a.m. in the morning by your dad flashlighting your eyes even though you could literally turn the light on <laughs> and your mom literally you know making your siblings eat even though they they claim they're not hungry in the morning and the arguments and, and just the energy of your own family unit is very very comforting and very very different than any other feeling in the world and it's like you can be in a room full of people and feel lonely and it's not just about Ramadan when I like really started to think about it and it's not just about me and I started to think about the bigger picture of Loneliness and what loneliness means, and how hard it is to kind of sit with yourself or look in the mirror and like look at yourself and say, Hey, I'm really lonely. Like, why is it so hard for us to admit when we feel alone, when we feel not our best, when we feel like maybe there's something missing? And sometimes it isn't even about people, right? And I I think I said this already, but I'm not sure. Like, sometimes you could literally be in a room full like max capacity and feel lonely right like and I'm not even trying to put on like my therapist hat right now (laughs) my friends and family hate when I like psychoanalyze everything from a like you know the clinical psychologist perspective and they're like you're trying to like flex your degree on us but I think it also comes from a place of like on a human level not being able to kind of connect right connect with the people in that room and you feel isolated because you feel like your, your experiences are just that, your experiences, as in your individual experiences that no one else kind of relates to. And that's a very, very lonely feeling. I think it's interesting, the quote again, like, you know, it's very famous, like the whole feeling lonely in a crowded room thing is very famous for people to say um, because more people resonate with that than those who are willing to admit it and that's a little wild to me because like I have so many mental kind of images of how I view myself and none of them are like a lonely person right none of them are like a person who feels alone who feels like there's no one you know with them or doesn't feel like they connect to people because also like for the most part I am an extrovert I think I'm more of an ambivert that's the term to kind of describe who I am or like I'm an extrovert who needs to be alone at least three hours a day <laughs> but for the most part I'm a pretty social person and I feel like a part of why I'm a social person a part of why I'm a therapist and a clinical psychologist is because I do really well in being able to connect with people and I love learning mo- more about people and their stories and I think telling myself hey you're lonely or you feel alone is harder than it is, or harder than it's supposed to be, rather, because you create this mental image of who you are, or who you think you are, who who you perceive the world to see you as, and they're not a lonely person, right? And I did a little bit of research, um, kind of like to see why are we lonely and why do we feel lonely, and what I what I kind of saw was really interesting. And I think that's what I want the premise of this podcast to be. So let's buckle in, folks. <laughs> Most of you don't know, but I have kind of a guilty pleasure. Um, <laughs> it sounds like I'm about to say I watch like like weird stuff that's like a guilty pleasure. No, it's it's... <laughs> not me stuttering it makes the sound even worse okay so my guilty pleasure is reddit and quora like i go down these th- threads of like rabbit holes of like just reading what different people I have to say about different things and when i like thought about this topic of loneliness i thought where else to go than quora and reddit so i i checked it up and someone actually said and posed the question why do i feel more alone in a crowded room than when i'm by myself and there were so many responses. And one of them that kind of stood out to me was um, this guy. His username is Zachariah Maximilian. He said, When you're alone, you have nobody to impress. There are no judgments present but your own. Nobody's standards to think of but your own. You can do whatever you want, and that is freeing. That alone, like, there's a lot to unpack in that. But I also want to get to another response by um jeremiah I'm, I'm gonna butcher his last name paisagi and he said sometimes being surrounded by people may just make you more painfully aware of how actually alone you are on a deeper level you may realize that the only person you are certain of is yourself it doesn't help if you're introverted because you will tend to be more in touch with this feeling it may even exhaust you physically to be in crowded rooms For those that crave social attention, it must be a completely different experience and it's not a bad thing to be more in tune with yourself. So a lot more of the responses go on and talk about how they have the same feeling and how people are talking about emotional distance versus physical distance. But I think the core of what I'm trying to get to and what Zachariah is trying to get to and what the other guy is trying to get to is sometimes it's not really about being alone. But it's more of just the judgment of being around other people, and even on a deeper level, the judgment of being around you. I think not enough of us really sit down to think, what do I think of me? And that's a very scary thought for a lot of people, right? What do I think of me? because we're so busy as a society you know in this age of social media and I sound like a crazy boomer (laughs) saying this right like social media has ruined society no like really and truly like in this age of like Instagram flashing and reels and tiktoking we've kind of grown accustomed to tracking the likes you know viewing the comments seeing what everybody has to say about you even if it's someone who doesn't have a profile picture and has zero followers like their comments and their kind of validation really and truly does hit a core for most people. Not everyone, obviously, because there's the few gifted who genuinely don't care. Um, And I envy them for not caring. But it's like we've spent so much time as a people wondering what others think about us that we've kind of lost touch with what we think about ourselves. It's, It's more or less this game of how many people can I get to view the parts of me that I love and blind those who view the parts of me that may not be as desirable as I think they should be, or alternatively, kind of negate assumptions that people have of me that aren't true. We're very obsessed as a generation with public image, with the idea of everyone liking us, with the idea of everyone being in our corner. And because of that, we've never really sat down to think, hey, do I even like who I am? Do I even like the person I'm becoming and the person I was and the person I am right now. And of course, it is a scary thought, but it's it's one you have to sit with. And I think self-awareness and self-reflection and kind of growth is uncomfortable. And it may be more uncomfortable than you're willing to be. But the slow shift of kind of growing into a place where you are able to scrutinize what you like and don't like about yourself is what can lead to growth and i think that's what loneliness sometimes can mean not always but sometimes loneliness can mean that this episode is going to be a lot about me quoting things and stuff because i've really sat with this question of loneliness and um you know feeling the sense of loss for yourself um and i'm going to do a whole another episode on grief and loss because i really and truly believe grief and loss should not kind of have to you know equate to loneliness and i think that it's a much deeper level as well of discussing loss which is very valid and grief outside of being lonely but um there's a quote that i a quote that i came across that i thought was really interesting by daniel keys and daniel says i do not know which is worse to not know what you are and be happy or to be what you've always wanted and feel alone and that's crazy, right? Like the fact that some of us kind of strive to be this version of ourselves, it's kind of the best or quote best of what everyone wants us to be and what we think we should be and feel really isolated in that version of ourselves and not feel like we've given ourselves what we view really and truly view not just like superficially view or think like is the most aesthetic or most instagrammable version but like the raw real you the you that goes to sleep at night and lays on your pillow and stares at the ceiling for a couple minutes before lulling to sleep that version of you what that version of you really wants is that what you're becoming is the question i think and i don't know if that's what daniel you know wanted us to take away from his quote but that sure is what i took away from it and i don't know if that's the version of me that i'm becoming I really hope it is, but I don't know if it's the version of me that I'm becoming. And I think that's the fear that a lot of us have and not a lot of us are kind of willing to admit. And I think also societal expectations don't help. Social media definitely doesn't help. And kind of growing into a place where you feel like, hey, I'm comfortable enough to look at myself and admit what I am and what I'm not. And whether or not I like what I am and whether or not I want what I'm not is really, really hard it's really really hard and there's this new self like like glamorization of self-care that I'm really not with like I was with for a minute maybe when I was like 19 or 20 (laughs) not me acting like 19 and 20 was a million years away guys I'm 22 that was two years ago (laughs) but like um the, the whole like candles and baths and like um what do you face masks and like that version of self-care? It's very glamorous and it's very cute. And I think everybody deserves that kind of self-love. But I think the nitty gritty parts of self-love, like the not Instagrammable parts of self-love are also equally as important as, you know, the, the bubble baths and, 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 you know, the lotions and whatever. I think the parts of self-love that force you to kind of critique yourself and kind of stand back and say, hey, in 10 to 15 years from now, everyone else might think, hey, I'm great but deep inside I will be self-loathing so hard is really important too. I think it's 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 something that we don't struggle with right now because, you know, you're really trying to show out and I think like it's like why are we like this? <laughs> and I know it's not a question that I can answer now or any of us have the answer to. Gosh, I wish we did. But it's like the reason why so many of us kind of feel so lonely, like deeply achingly lonely is not because of anything else but ourselves. And it's really hard to face because we also live in an age where we're like being a victim is really cool. And like kind of blaming everyone but yourself is really easy, which again, I'm not trying to um kind of minimize the pain of victims and people who have been inflicted with pain. And later in the episode, we are going to go into different reasons why you're lonely according to an actual psychologist. That's not me. <laughs> that does include childhood trauma and stuff like that, but I think because we're so used to being victims and everyone is like, hey, oh, poor me. Nobody really looks at themselves and says, hey, I am a core part of why I'm lonely. And there's nothing wrong with being alone. I think we should make a clear distinction between being alone and lonely. Being alone can be great because sometimes when you're alone, you're not lonely, right? There are people who, when they're alone feel amazing feel great there's not a hint of loneliness both outwardly and inwardly that they feel because they are secure in their own company enjoy their own company feel great about themselves and that's something that we all want to be i think right kind of secure and comforted by your own presence but that's not a reality for many people and we kind of block it out with the music with the friends with the fun with the glitz and glamour of posting on social media 24 7 when that's not who we really are scheme of things being alone versus being lonely if I had to pick just one or the other I would 110% pick being alone because if I'm alone but not lonely I feel secure in my own presence I feel happy with myself I feel at peace with the kind of person I am how I treat others and it has nothing to do with how others view you and solely on how you view yourself and it's it's really interesting also because I did a, a little bit of research y'all um to see like again this is this is more just like me being more curious um and my interest in neuropsychology kind of goes past what I've learned in class and I wanted to know how our brains react to being lonely and I found this study that um, did a survey in 2019 and kind of discovered that 3 in 10 millennials often are lonely. And it kind of like goes down this rabbit hole of discussing the science of why they're lonely and stuff like that. But in essence, the MPFC, which is kind of an abbreviation for the Medial Prefrontal Cortex, um, is eliciting powerful signals for those people, especially when they're closest with people, like their family or their friends, etc. cetera. And the patterns kind of distance themselves the longer they feel lonely. In essence, that's what the study is saying. And it kind of says that people who have high levels of loneliness, that scientists found that it's strikingly different in how their MPFC or their medial prefrontal cortex um, kind of conditions itself to cue with other people, including the closest people to them. So, um, the overlap between these patterns, um, because this is all brain activity again, is linked to their own identity and that causes them to have a trigger. And specifically, the corresponding author for the study, her name is Andrea Lee Courtney. Um, She said that the patterns in brain activity can partially explain why lonely people feel so isolated. And she suggests that there's evidence in the self-other gap that lies in patterns of brain activation that's associated with thinking about yourself and thinking of others. And the kind of the kind of um, cluster of information that she portrays us with shows the MPFC kind of the brain of like a person who doesn't feel so lonely versus the person who said that they felt lonely. And the target condition is to see how the NPFC reacts and in being into close um, kind of like proximity with people. And it's really sad. Like it's genuinely really sad when you look at the actual scientific research that has been done um, in regards to how people feel lonely or don't feel lonely. And the people who did, quote, feel lonely kind of have a disconnect, not only in how they speak, but also in the scientific information that's portrayed to us, which shows again, like, I don't like it when people say stuff like, oh, you're lonely, so what, suck it up, like, (laughs) hang out with people. There's actual biological information that's showing you that their loneliness is not just mental but also physiological like being lonely has a physiological effect on people and that's why i was very interested in the research and that's why neuropsychology generally speaking is very interesting to me because we see kind of the contrast and also the connection between how we mentally feel and emotionally kind of detach as well as how our body follows suit in that detachment and it's like being lonely again, like does not have one single cause, does not have one single anecdote, but at the end of the day, it's like being lonely is a feeling that can disconnect you from even people who've known you your entire life, your parents, your siblings, and people are very quick to be like, well, you know, you could be around people or you could, you know, read a book or you could go on a walk or you could do all of these self-care, cute, trendy things to make yourself feel better about yourself and it's all in your head. And sometimes it's not in your head And it could just be an actual issue that you have that needs to be diagnosed further. But most times, again, it could be you not being connected to others for very specific reasons. And that's something that I want to cover within today's podcast as well. To get into the nitty gritty of reasons why you may be feeling lonely, I also came across, like I said... Um, so this is the title. Like, let me just set this up without, like, any actual, like, like, you know, like, context. Reasons why you may be feeling lonely in a crowd. Seven real reasons why. And this is an article by a, um, PhD holding, uh, depression specialist, Sherry Jacobson, or Dr. Sherry Jacobson, I should say. Respect people's titles, y'all. Um, but... The first reason that she stated is you are afraid of real intimacy. Ooh. And this is actually a thing that I think a lot of people are facing. I'm not about to be in nobody's business, but Sherry is in y'all's business. And Sherry said, a deep, endless feeling of loneliness happens sometimes because we're afraid of intimacy. And we're not talking about romantic intimacy here. She put that in bold because Sherry's trying to let y'all know she's not obsessed with your love lives um <laughs> we're talking about letting people see the real authentic you complete with your fears and worries and hopes and dreams this involves being vulnerable if you have a fear of intimacy just reading that would have given you anxiety okay we're gonna pause on the first reason i 100% agree and i think that i covered this in my first ever episode with hemdi when we were talking about vulnerability and we were talking about why we're not vulnerable and how a lot of us kind of grew up in homes where vulnerability was frowned upon and people view vulnerability as a weakness and i think if that's the thing that you're struggling with it's it's not like it's not like it's a one in a billion reason right but it is a very valid reason i think like there's a lot of like invalidating people's people's way of existing that goes on nowadays where it's like, oh, you know what, tough luck. That happened to you growing up, so did it to me, and I turned out just fine. No, you didn't. You are emotionally repressed. (laughs) I hate when people give that as a reason where they're like, that's how you feel? Okay, well, I was raised exactly the same way, or I went through much more trauma than you did, and I turned out fine. You did not turn out fine. You are gaslighting other people. But to get back to Sherry's reason of, you know, why people may feel alone because of their fear of real intimacy... I think it was really important that she highlighted we're not talking about romantic intimacy because that's what people always rush to think about. Let's not even get to that level, right? Letting people see the real you, complete with your fears and your worries and your hopes and your dreams. That is very terrifying to a lot of people. So because of that fear of intimacy, they choose to just pull back and kind of put up this, you know, like filtered version of who you are and curate this little pretty feed for you to see. Even in real life, like people have become like real, like, pr fronts y'all like people will give you such a pr answer to everything and kind of rehearse in their mind not intentionally but because that's how they program themselves to be to avoid any sense of vulnerability and kind of like if you're listening to this and that that's how you feel there's nothing wrong with the fact that that's what you've been struggling with but guess what you can get better and you can conquer your fear of vulnerability and intimacy and kind of building friendships because friendships require a level of intimacy and vulnerability and building your familiar relationships that definitely need high levels of like kind of emotionally, you know, tearing down walls that you may have built around yourself and in some families let's be real that's not like a possibility in some families if you're emotionally vulnerable all you get back in thanks is people making fun of you and saying ha ha ha, ha how white people of you which is so garbage right like why do we allow ourselves to attribute emotional vulnerability to whiteness whiteness is anything but vulnerable whiteness was oppression whiteness has done many horrific things in history yet we're allowing whiteness to take ownership over being vulnerable which is an extremely beautiful thing that's crazy that's backward and i don't think that's something that we should associate with whiteness and i'm so happy to see that there's a new generation of parenting that's kind of like instilling in their children like hey it's okay to be vulnerable it's okay to cry it's okay to feel it's okay to work through your emotions because that's how ladies and gentlemen we build emotionally competent future adults. A lot of adults be walking around with no emotional regulation, with no emotional competency, and they enter relationships emotionally unavailable, and we wonder why so many marriages are failing. And that is a core reason, whether we want to face it or not. Right? It's tough to, like, look at yourself in the mirror and recognize I have not been allowed to be emotionally vulnerable for a lot of my life, or I have not allowed myself. Again, we're taking back ownership. We are trying to move, move away from a place of being a victim. I have not allowed myself to be emotionally vulnerable for a long time. And now I am slowly, because this is a process, you can't, you know, go cold, tur- go cold turkey like really quickly. It's like you have to kind of ease yourself into it because you've been literally landlocked emotionally your entire life. I'm going to slowly ease myself into trying, keyword is trying, our best to open up and kind of, you know, build friendships and long-lasting relationships through communication, honesty and vulnerability. It's terrifying. Don't get me wrong. (laughs) Nothing about that feels in any way, shape or form comforting. I think that's the right word. It does not feel anything like our comfort zone. But it's something that you have to try to do. You have to at least kind of try to be that. Um, the other reason, I don't want to go through all seven reasons because I feel like some of these reasons are just kind of obvious. But this, this is kind of also very important. Um, Sherry said, again, y'all, this is not me and y'all business. This is Sherry. Sherry said, the parenting you received drowned out the real you. And under that, she says, perhaps your parent or parents did on the surface take care of you and love you but they did not let you be yourself you were given love only if you lived up to certain expectations or only when your parent was in a good mood so you learned to change who you were and things that made your parents happy and gained approval Learn to change. Uh, uh, I can't speak English, y'all. You learn to change who you were to things that made your parents happy and gained approval. Over time, this becomes second nature. The real you is buried often, and as an adult, you question if you ever knew who you really were at all. That is, ooh Sherry really hitting the nail on the head, y'all. <laughs> that is profound. Like I cannot exhaust how many adults, adults I know that do not know who they really are because of the kind of parents they had, because of the kind of parenting they had. And like she started with the first sentence, perhaps your parent or parents did on the surface take care of you and love you. Because what do they always say? I put a roof on your, I put a roof over your head. I put food on, on, on your table. I put clothes on your back. You're ungrateful. Or like, you know, I've done the best I could for you, which could be validly true. They probably did the best that they could for you at the time with the resources that they had. However, that does not negate the fact that some people's parents made their love conditional in the idea that you have to be xyz in order for you to be worthy of my love and that is not how you parent (laughs) that is not how you parent you do not love your kids based on whether or not they can achieve this version of them that you've concocted in your mind it's messed up and it's it's unhealthy and something else that she said that was very profound the sentence that kind of like just sat with me was like you know you do all these things to make your parents happy and over time this becomes second nature the real you is buried so often that as an adult you wonder if you ever knew who you really were like you begin to question is there a real version of me out there has there ever been a version of me that i felt was authentic do i even know who i am Because you've spent so long kind of perfecting and you know putting this cookie cutter version of yourself out there and making sure everything is even and right and the way your parents want it to be that you don't have any single idea of who you actually are that's really really sad and this is not to throw shade at nobody's parents right um i don't want to i don't think sherry wants to either but it's really really sad to see people who struggled because a lot of people's parents have struggled especially as muslims right A lot of Muslim people um, have immigrant parents in many, many, many Muslim homes. Obviously not all, because there are Muslim people who've always lived in their own countries, obviously. But Muslims like me, right? (laughs) Did y'all catch that way to put the actual podcast title in here? But Muslims like me... um, Our parents are immigrants. They moved to various countries. They've struggled. They've done XYZ. You all know the immigrant stories, the various immigrant stories out there. And because they've struggled so much, they now have this vision of who they want you to be that is worthy of the struggle. And that in itself is so problematic. I don't think I have enough time to cover that on my podcast today. But the loneliness can stem from that because guess what? You may not really know who you are. And that is a sad and terrifying thing to think of. Truly terrifying um sherry made differently she made it as like a different point but i feel like it definitely intertwines with the whole like parenting thing is she said in her own words you have experienced childhood trauma that could be another reason and under that she says the one thing that can fracture any ability to feel connected to others is trauma this can include things like emotional physical sexual neglect or losing a parent or loved one that can form into trauma Um, children often blame themselves for trauma. So any childhood trauma can mean that you not only feel that connecting to others can be dangerous, you feel unworthy of being loved anyway. Oh gosh. So you unconsciously push others away. And this is something that I see in my practice a lot. I feel the need to put that out there. This is something that I do see in my practice a lot where that I could be speaking to a client and we're discussing how they feel And some of them do actually say, you know, flat out have discovered and are self-aware enough to know I am lonely. And I do this exercise with clients, um, especially those who I'm doing CBT with, which is cognitive behavioral therapy, where we're trying to kind of like unwind and find the core belief in their system that makes them believe whatever it is that they believe about themselves, right? And we do this um, exercise that I like to call laddering. Well, it is called laddering. I like to call it kulaha. It's <laughs> It's called laddering. So basically what we do is I feel, let's say I feel lonely. Why do I feel lonely? Because, you know, I don't connect with people. Da, 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 da. Why don't I connect with people? Then we connect that. So we're building a ladder until we get to that core belief that's causing you to feel the first thing you said. I am lonely. And it's really interesting to see how that connects. With a lot of other things, right? My throat got really dry, guys. I had to take a sip of my drink. I literally have like maybe a four-hour window until Sephora as well. Anyways, I'm literally moving away from the topic. I digress. Um, So in regards to like kind of finding that core belief, right? And kind of pinpointing why you feel how you feel when you feel it. A lot of my clients, when we get to the core belief... It has a lot to do with childhood trauma and that may seem obvious to many, but it's really not that obvious to the person, especially when their parents are people who they first highly respect, two, are always trying to impress because a lot of us are always trying to impress our parents, and three, would never connect the two together, would never connect I'm lonely and then my mom or my dad because in their mind it's like why or how. And to many people, obviously, it would be why or how unless you make the clear connection through the laddering where you're like, I feel this because of that, because of this, because of that. And the ladder kind of builds itself up that way. Um, and like I said, this this like kind of general understanding of childhood trauma, among my clients at least, right? I'm not going to generalize among a lot of people, but when you're a child... Right, and someone inflicts abuse upon you, whether it's mental, physical, emotional, you, in many ways, as a child, don't understand what is going on, don't understand why it's happening, so it's always this feeling of, I must have some part in why this horrible thing is happening. And because of that feeling, you grow older, and this adult version of you, this 20-something version of you, kind of feels unworthy kind of feels like they are not worth other people's time because you are a guilty party when you really had nothing to do with being inflicted upon trauma as a child. But that's just the kind of guilt that you carry subconsciously. And that can create a lot of loneliness. That can create a lot of grief. That can create a lot of loss of how you feel about yourself. And again, also morph into loneliness. And a lot of the loneliness that people who have had childhood trauma feel is very isolating Not only in the sense that you feel lonely and isolated, but isolating in the sense that they can't even speak about the childhood trauma because many of them feel that it's too traumatic to discuss, you know? They can't even speak about what was done to them, what was said to them, how they were treated because they feel like, I'm an adult now. That was in the past. I need to bury the past and move on and stop being, you know, like someone who holds a grudge or someone who's like, you know, stuck on harping on things someone did to me 20 years ago. Which is like something I try to validate among my clients that like, you know, your grief is your grief and you take your time and you get to say what you say. and No one can force you to have closure until you're ready to have closure. But sometimes things like that are easier said than done. Like if we're steering away from what Sherry said because she made very a lot of very, very valid, great points. Shout out to Sherry. <laughs> Dr. Sherry Jacobson. Um, I hate taking away from people's titles because I know how hard being in academia is. And... Inshallah, one day, when I do have my doctorate, I dare anybody to refer to me as anything less than doctor. Um, (laughs) Not me sounding all uppity. Um, But what I'm trying to say, y'all, is moving away from from Dr. Sherry's great points, we have to understand that being lonely is not a permanent feeling. And it, it, it doesn't have to be a permanent feeling, that is. It can be for some people. And for those who feel like it's more prolonged, like in a sense of like, I'm talking time span of like maybe let's say eight months to a year or years in plural, you should probably see a doctor about, I mean, a a clinical psychologist about that or see a psychiatrist about that because for some people it could be indicative of a personality disorder, obviously not saying that's the majority, that's very, very few cases, but if that's how you deeply feel, see a clinical psychologist or a psychiatrist, mental health is nothing to ever, ever, ever ever be ashamed of around here, ever this is always a safe space um, and I think moving away from kind of that that population that could have a mental illness the general population, loneliness is not something that is is kind of imprinting on your path as a person and neither is your view of self and your view of self can shift loneliness can shift we are able to feel other things we are able to grow from these feelings and I think that's just the kind of people that we are, right? Like we're we're so stuck on how we feel in the now that the future seems so far away, so dull, so kind of like intangible, untangible. I don't know what the word is, <laughs> but you get my drift. It's, it's, it's the idea that we feel like now is so heavy that looking into the future is not what we can bear. And I think that that's something that I have to negate and say, no, we can look into the future. We can be hopeful, we can feel kind of a sense of hope in who we are to become. And like I always say, I think I've said this in almost every single episode so far, the best version of you is out there. And the best version of you is literally just waiting on you. Nobody else, just you. Loneliness is something that I think is is, is something that we all struggle with to some extent. Some people, not as severe as others, obviously, but... Sometimes also something that probably is out of character for me to kind of say is bask in that loneliness. Feel what that loneliness really means. And once you felt the meaning, or at least what that loneliness says to you, then you can kind of pick up the pieces and see where to go from there. It doesn't always have to be negative. And sometimes when we hit dark spots, they're only to reflect us into better places. They're only to create avenues that we never knew we were capable of, you know, Turning into or veering towards. And I personally hold the great belief that we as people are multifaceted. And today I may feel lonely, but five years from now I may not remember what that loneliness tasted like. And neither will you. And inshallah, neither will you. And as the episode comes to a wrap today, I just want to let anyone who's feeling lonely in a room crowded, in a room full of people know that. Your loneliness is not something that makes you obscure. is not something that makes you weird. is not something that makes you out of the place. And it does not mean, certainly, that you don't belong. What it means is that you are feeling a part of yourself because of your self-awareness and that you are going to grow and that this loneliness is only there for a season. And you are the only person who is capable of creating... And reaching, because really I do believe it's out there, just reaching for the version of yourself that you know you want and you know you deserve to be. Before I wrap up the episode, it would definitely be out of character of me to not, you know, find a way to tie this all back into the dean and spirituality and what it means for me. Because again, the title of the podcast is Muslim Like Me. And I think for Muslims like me, our deen is a great part of every avenue of our life and especially when we feel alone. Because especially when I feel alone, I remember ayats from the Quran that kind of ease my loneliness, don't necessarily take it away, but kind of give me some comfort in that time. And I write poetry sometimes in vain of my spirituality that kind of create A more optimistic view i don't want to say fills the loneliness because let's be real it doesn't really do that necessarily if it does for you then mashallah great for you but i don't think that it does that for me and um i actually wrote a poem a while back and i titled it the best of planners because allah subhanahu wa ta'ala of course is the best of planners and i wanted to close off this episode with that poem and to keep in mind i guess what my spirituality means for me when I feel lonely in a room full of people um, through a poem. So here we go with the poem. And in my darkest of hours, when the last of my tears finally dry, moments between sorrow and her cousin regret, when only he who loves me most is listening, like he always is, always has been, I bear my soul on a prayer mat, a silent auction between this prison of a world and my sanity, I bid on the next life. In that darkest hour, between silence and supplication, he who loves me, my Lord reminds me. They plan and Allah plans and surely Allah is the best of planners and with that poem i want to leave you guys to kind of reflect on your own loneliness if there is any you feel at all and always remember i guess that no matter how lonely you are you always have allah on your side and that may not be much comfort to some of you right now but i hope that someday it is comforting to you to know that in your darkest of hours allah is always listening always counting every single tear that drops from your eyes every squeeze of your heart in pain Every single time that you remember him in those moments counts more than you ever realize. Infinite moments that you don't even realize count. Um, And with that, I want to wish you guys Ramadan Mubarak again. We're kind of closing off the month and I hope everyone has gotten as much ibadah as they could, as much self-reflection as they could. And even for those who are feeling lonely, for those who are feeling homesick like myself and may not feel as comforted to not be around your family as I am. In the future, I hope that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reunites you with your loved ones and that this feeling of loneliness shall to pass. Thank you all for listening. I'm your host, Haldan Khalif, and this is Muslim Like Me. Hopefully, you guys can tune in for the next episode. Bye. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.